listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. How y'all doing this morning? Good? Can I just tell you? Y'all look good. Many of you know me. And if you have young kids, you most definitely know me. My name is Erin. I've spent a lot of my internship back in New Kids, and I know so many of your kiddos' names. It's been a real honor to serve the families of this church. Each one of us interns wear a variety of hats around here. Because of that, specifically through New Kids and student culture, we've learned so much. This weekend is really an opportunity for us to share a bit of insight into the next generation and show you all that God is doing through our very active church. Now, I served in New Kids for a while before this internship, and your kids tell me some funny things when they're not giving me a live-action replay of their week's events or throwing fake rocks at a nine-foot Goliath and having a competition of which class can shout the big answer louder through the wall. Can I just tell you, you have not lived until a four-year-old calls out your deepest insecurity and turns around like it was nothing. Despite all the fun I have with your kids once they're here, I have thought about the hassle it must be to get them up, changed, fed, out the door and on time for church in the morning. Where are the parents in the room? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're reliving it right now. I only say this because I know. Well, correction, I've been told on multiple occasions what it was like to get me to church growing up, and I believe the words used were 45-minute episodes of World War III. But just like some of your guys' age, we don't talk about it. Thankfully, that's not the case anymore. See, before coming to New Chapel, I knew of God, but I didn't know him. And because of you all in the heart of this church, I now found God, found freedom, discovered purpose, and get to make a difference. While many of you see the work that us interns do personally, I love that this internship isn't just something where they push for work out of us. But our pastors, along with Naya and Kaya, they invest in us. They challenge us to be leaders. They teach us things that I believe make New Chapel really special. For example, at the beginning of this internship, we read a business leadership book. It's called Good to Great. Some of you in the room may know what I'm talking about. One of the concepts in this book is confronting the brutal facts, yet never losing faith. It's exactly what it sounds like. This simple phrase resonated with me, both as an athlete and as someone with a heart for the next generation. I love the next generation, but I know that they face real things. They've grown up in a society where the only constant is rapid change. One in four live in poverty, 34% have one-parent homes. 7.3 million reported having anxiety and depression. And 35% have 
felt persistent hopelessness into adulthood. These are the brutal facts. While you think you're losing faith in the next generation, they're losing faith in us as well. A brutal fact I came to face was that the solution to my peace wasn't my perfection and success. And Ricky Bobby might have been wrong when he said, if you ain't first, you're last. Because from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m., I overworked myself in school, the gym, seven sports, a job, and the list goes on. I was too tired to stay awake and too anxious to fall asleep. This wasn't in my notes, but for the next generation in the room, that feeling of anxiety, confusion, discomfort, I, we were asking God what to do with the rest of our lives, and we don't recognize the answer. I believe it's because God's calling the next generation to do things that we've never seen before, to have faith that this world has never seen before, faith that builds a boat for the flood when we've never even heard of rain. I believe that God's called you, us, for such a time as this. I looked like the all-American girl, so no one thought to remind me what God was saying about me. They didn't see room to fill the call that God had on them to invest in the next generation. And why does this matter? Because it matters to God. This is what God says about the next generation and your responsibility to them. Psalm 78, 1 through 7, listen to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth and be willing to learn. I will give you parables and other important truths which you have heard and known, which your fathers have told you. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the generations to come the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his great might and power and the wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel. He commanded our fathers that they should teach their children. That the generations to come, the children yet to be born, may arise and recount them to their children. That they should place their confidence in God. Where's my mom in the room? I gotta give you props because I'm not a parent. But I can say there's a grace when you chose to raise four kids. This is my formal apology because at the time, I didn't hear grace. I heard fighting words, words that you never even said. And before I get to that point, I want to give you all a glimpse into World War III. So I'm a challenger, and it's not even so much that I have to win. I just can't lose. You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. So for my mom, I knew regardless we were going to end up at church. But I felt it was exhaustive and inconvenient for me to go. So I was bound and determined to make sure that she felt the same way about getting me there. I say that. And then I think about how I don't recall the stars and badges on my vest or the fights to get there. Though I can pretty much guarantee my mom remembers all of them. And you might not think it about me. But might, like many of you, like many of your kids, I suffered from overwhelming anxiety, depression, scarcity, and hopelessness. In my lowest moments, 
I remembered the exact verses I fought so hard to not memorize growing up. Things like 1 Timothy 4.12, do not be despised for your youth, but set an example to the believers. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. John 15.15, he calls me friend. Ephesians 2.10, he calls me his masterpiece, purposed and fashioned for good things. He calls me chosen, free indeed, more than a conqueror. I recall Jesus loves me and I fight in his army. And in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, it says these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you drive along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is what my mind dwells on. This is my solid foundation in life's toughest battles. Ones that call me to lean into the discomfort. Because in my weakness, he is my strength. This is what I get to speak over your kids. Why we as a church commit to dedicating kids. Did you know over 50% of our building is dedicated to the next generation? It's why we send home those parent go sheets to help you partner with the church and keep the conversation going at home. It's the reason I won't discount any of the fights with my mom and siblings about things like going to church. Because in all the fights, I don't think they ever saw me here with a mic, sharing my heart with all of you. See, we're called to plant seeds, seeds of faith, and write it down. The next generation's faith in God starts with us planting seeds. I want you to hear that the next generation, us interns, we are the fruit of your diligence. Take heart. The harvest is coming. And I'm not a parent, but I really love your kids. And we're a family church. Because of that, I feel like I can say this to you bluntly. You can't protect your kids from every bad thing that they face, but you can equip them. You can fight the battles to raise them in the way that they should go so when they're older, they will not turn from it. Guys, it's worth the fight. So whether you're a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, or kid in the room, we're no longer on the defense. So we're not intimidated to face the brutal fact that your kids have an enemy that only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But we serve a God that is faithful and will carry out his work for us. Amen? But he needs us to know that there's a threat. There are hurts and offenses, hard decisions, and long days of parenting. And what are we going to do about it? I believe as a church... We will bind together in prayer and not lose faith in our God or hope in the next generation. Are you with me? The time is 9.47 for those of you taking medication. My name is Hunter, and I got both my feet, y'all. Not only do I have both my feet still, but I'm also an intern here at New Chapel. Now, being an intern, I get to wear several hats. Two of the hats that I love being able to wear are serving at our student culture nights and serving back in New Kids. Serving in student culture has taught me something. Well, more reminded me of something, and that is how mean teens can be, y'all. 
there's this one kid, or young adult, young man, that I've started playing basketball with during student culture nights, and he started to heckle me, y'all, like three to two weeks before student culture. When he sees me at church, he's like, hey, DeBoer, are you ready to get destroyed at horse? And two, those, those weeks will go by, and we'll get to the night, and I'll walk out onto the court wearing a peg leg. And I'm like, dude, you're in a lose-lose situation. Either you're going to destroy the guy that's wearing a peg leg disabled, or you're going to get destroyed by the guy wearing a peg leg. And that doesn't look too good either. Needless to say, he spent the next 30 minutes absolutely destroying me at horse. That's just one of the many relationships that I get to have with your young people. And I love all of them. I'm so honored that I get to be able to do that. Leading up to this weekend, I felt the importance of family on my heart. Now, I don't have kids, nor do I have a super traumatic childhood. But what I did have, and still have to this day, are parents that cared. I get that there's busy seasons in life where you're working, you get out of work, you swing by McDonald's, throw the bag on the table, eat for 10 minutes, and then you all go your own way. I'm fortunate enough that the lion's share of dinners that me and my family had were spent at the dinner table where my parents would ask three questions. Those three questions are, how was your day? What was the best part of your day? And is there anything you need help with? Now, I was a pretty angsty teen, so I'm going to give you a glimpse as to what those questions would look like. How was your day? That was, that was good. It was a day, you know, whatever. What was the best part of your day? I was, didn't really have the best part. It was, it was just a day, whatever. Is there anything you need help with? That question, every single time they would ask it, it changed my day. It affected me. Now, it seems super simple. And I saw it coming every single time. But it showed me that my parents cared. It showed me that I'm not doing life alone. I have people that I can rely on. I loved hearing Erin's story about her 45-minute war with her mom. I don't know about you, but that was funny. It made me question something, though. How tired was her mom? Now, if you don't know, Aaron's mom also had three older kids that she was also raising at the time. Now, she might not have been in 45-minute wars at that exact moment, but more than likely before or afterwards. And now that her kids are grown, she, gets, she has grandkids that she gets to do it all over again with. Yay! However tired she may have been, she tried her best. We all work. We get tired. But, and, and you feel like you're not doing it right. But you're making it to church. You're talking about that go sheet. Parents, 
you might be doing better than you think. But on the other end of it, if you're not investing in your kids, they're going to start looking somewhere else. When I was a teenager and my friends and I would have bonfires in high school, it got to a point where my friends would make the joke that they don't go to my bonfires to hang out with me, but rather to talk to my parents and hang out with them. Now, it was all fun and games, but you'd be looking around the bonfire, having a good time, and one of my friends would get up and go inside, be in there for 10, 20 minutes, come back out, some of them with tears in their eyes. And then the next person would go in there. And they took turns. See, they saw the relationship that I had with my parents that they didn't have, that they so desperately needed. Parents, the next generation needs what God needs from you. They don't need your perfection. They need your heart. In the book of Jeremiah, we all, some of us know what uh, 29.13 says, or 29.11. But this is what 29.13 says. And you shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. That's what it says in Jeremiah. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says something similar. He said to him, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. When you have a heart towards God, your family and God see it. They see you working hard, and they see you putting the effort in. Parents, what that scripture is saying is it makes a difference. There are 8,760 hours in a year. Between how much time you spend driving, sleeping, and how much time you spend working, that makes up over half your year. I'm not even going to tell you the stats on how much time we spend with our family or how much time we spend with God. Guys, this is real. The book of Matthew says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I believe that there's two columns that we can make to determine what people care about, and that is what people spend their money on and what they spend their time doing. You make your family a priority when you spend time with them. You play that cheesy family game. You play catch in the yard. There's a song that my dad used to listen to on the radio. Now, if you don't remember what a radio is, it's a rectangle that has needles or has antennas on it, and there's a needle on the front of it that goes back and forth when you turn a dial. My dad claims to be the first remote control because when his parents wanted to change the station, they would send him or his siblings to go do it instead of an actual remote control. 
the song that I'm thinking about is Cats in the Cradle. Now, if you haven't heard it, it takes you on a bit of a roller coaster. It starts out with the dad not having time for his son. And then it flips the table on you. And then when the son is grown, he doesn't have time for his, God, for his dad. It affected me. And I'm sure that if you've heard it, it's affected you too. But it's made me realize something. God's not like that. God's always there for us, waiting. Waiting for us to start a conversation with him. Waiting for us to open up the Bible and read his word. Receive the wisdom for our lives. How is God going to talk to me if I'm not talking to him? How can he trust me with the heavy if I can't even be trusted with the light? In the book of Ephesians, it says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I'm going to let Pastor go into the depth of what the Lord's will is, because that's a pretty big rabbit hole, and I'm not going to take you up all your day. But we can scratch the surface of it. Ultimately, it's the Great Commission. Jesus says it in Mark. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. How can we do that if we don't know God? When I was younger, we, would used, to, we used to go to my grandparents' house during weekends and holidays. And my grandparents used to say something that I didn't quite understand at the time. And that is how short their days felt and how their years just would come and go in the blink of an eye. And at the ripe old age of 24, I think I'm starting to get it. I think I have the answer as to why it feels like that. It says it right there in Ephesians. The days are evil. Guys, we live in a fallen world. Even time is against us. So how are we going to choose to spend our time? Are we going to be living in the fake world of social media? Or are we going to choose to invest our time in our families? Invest our time in God. God's not a last-minute God. He has everything planned out. He knew exactly what he was doing when he gave my parents, my brothers, and I. He knew exactly what he was doing when he gave you your kids. I get that there's days that you feel like you got to put the fast food bag down and you feel like you aren't doing it right. Stick with it, parents. Stay faithful to God. I don't know how my parents feel. Heck, I don't know how you feel. But my parents' consistencies to make sure that we are in church, their consistency to make sure that we had family time, and their consistency to show us the love of God in so many ways. There's fruit in my life because of it. 
we're not perfect. Heck, my parents would be the first ones to tell you they're not perfect. Mom, dad, you're perfect in my eyes. We're still striving for God. You might be afraid. Heck, I know my brothers and I. I'm sure my parents were terrified about how my brothers and I would turn out. Stick with it, parents. Listen to God. Sow those seeds of faithfulness. And you will see God increase the fruit in your child's life. Wow. What great messages from Aaron and Hunter. Right? Come on. Just like the other guy, my name is also Hunter. I'm the tall one, if we haven't had the chance to meet. During this internship, I've learned a lot. I've been able to help with things like set up and tear down and back in the tech booth. But my favorite is some of the engagement I've had with your kids. When I'm back in new kids and I'm always at our middle school and high school ministry, student culture. While I was thinking about this weekend, I, I thought of you. And I thought, what would you think about 20-something-year-olds talking about the next generation. As someone who isn't married and doesn't have kids, in fact, none of the other interns that you've seen today are married or have kids either, what could we tell you about the next generation? Now, I know you have a relationship with your teenagers, and maybe it's where you want it to be. Maybe some of you are in here today and you're left a little wanting. Ultimately, I was thinking about what to convey to you this weekend, and I spend time with your young people. I listen to them, and they say things they may not say to you, and I thought you might be interested. This weekend, I want to tell you what your teenagers are telling me, and more importantly, I want to tell you what God says. So this past year, we launched our student ministry, Student Culture, and I am so proud of that team of volunteers that comes in every student night to invest in your young person. Yeah, absolutely. To see true life change happen at such a young age, it's, it's why we do it. About 10 months ago at our first event, I was told I would be leading our middle school boys huddle group, our, our small group. And for any parents of middle school boys in the room, we're going to have prayer partners down at the front after service. I, I'm just trying to help. And so we're cutting up and we're talking about Pastor Brian's message about overcoming anxiety and stress. And as we're nearing the end of our time in our huddle group, I asked, does, does anybody have any prayer requests? And the young man sitting across from me raises his hand and I'll never forget his face. He talked about how he's been having anxiety at home from parents who have been yelling and screaming. And in the mornings, when he goes downstairs, he finds holes in the drywall from punches being thrown through the walls. As I took in all that he said, I glanced in the circle around us, and it hit all of us. And if we're all being honest in the room, I think you would agree that that level of pain really isn't so foreign. We were able to pray with him and get an agreement. 
I am so encouraged by what God has done in that young man's story and in his family. God's really moved there. Take my word for it. But on the other end of it, it made me think about this generation and what it is they're saying. Because when we finished praying for him, he kind of just shrugged his shoulders and said, I'm, I'm fine. Aaron was right. Kids, teenagers, they face real things. You know what they're telling me? They're telling me that school's blowing them off. They don't care. The same peer pressure that you and I dealt with in school, it's still there. Only this time, they're putting out a litter box for them. This is how they're trying to solve the problem, right? They're looking at culture that's going to pipe things through on their phones, but they end up rejecting it because they want something real. And when they want something real, oftentimes it's shown in the form of pushing you away and secluding to their rooms, even though they are longing for relationship. Growing up, I loved spending time out in Grand Haven. My grandparents have a cottage just a few miles south of the pier, right on the lake. My cousins and I have amazing memories from over the summers. But my favorite times were when we would all be down at the beach. Except for when my aunts would stop us and put the fear of God in us, talking about all the dangers of the beach. One thing that they would always mention that caught my curiosity was the currents. Parents, I know you know what a current is. It caught my curiosity because currents can be deceiving. I mean, on the surface, everything may seem fine, but under the surface, that's where the real threat is because there's this force pulling you in a direction you typically don't want to go in. Have you noticed it with culture? This sudden shift in a certain direction, this momentum pulling you in the opposite direction. Culture has an undercurrent. That's why if we don't stand, set culture, we will inevitably allow it. It's actually why we named our student ministry Student Culture, to set the atmosphere for your young person to come and worship God, have a true relationship with Jesus. Why are you saying all this, Hunter? Guys, your kids have a very real enemy. And on the outside, on the surface, if you will, they may seem fine, but on the inside, under the surface, they're going through it. Your kids have a very real enemy, and there's an undercurrent ready to take them. In the midst of all this, I think about what the Bible says in Psalm 23 too. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. In this passage of scripture, David is referring to Jesus as the good shepherd, the one who leads us to still waters. I love that in all the words he could have used, he used the word still. Not calm, not even gentle, still. See, calm currents, gentle currents, there's just something about still currents. I don't know about you in the room, but I need still currents in my life. It reminds me of, actually, if you were up early enough this morning, you would have seen the fog outside. It reminds me of as summer would end and we would get closer into autumn, real early in the morning, I would wake up in Grand Haven and there would be this mist hovering over the waters. Like in Genesis 1-2 where the Bible says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That peaceful setting, that's the imagery the Bible gives us about still waters. It reminds me of the story out of Matthew 8 where Jesus is taking his disciples over the Sea of Galilee and there's this huge storm with 
waves rolling at high speeds, this torrential downpour of rain falling on the disciples' faces while huge waves are rocking the boat back and forth. And you don't know how many times I hear from your young people how lost and confused they are and how the storms in their lives cause them to feel consumed and desperate. Like the disciples who are yelling, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus stands and turns to them and says, why are you so scared? Don't you trust me? And it says that he rebukes the storm. And in Matthew 8, 27, it says, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds, storms, and waves, currents, obey him. See, with Jesus, he leads us to still waters. Can I put it to you this way? He calms the storm in us. When your young person is going through it and the enemy is pulling them into deeper waters, Jesus calms storms today. When your young person is trying to piece together the rest of their lives before they turn 18, Jesus calms storms today. When they feel obligated to play mediator between mom and dad, Jesus calms storms today. When the pressures of social media are constantly changing, Jesus constantly calms storms today. The enemy of your soul, by the way, hates this. That's why with precision and every bit of craftiness and deceitfulness, he tries to come up and grab us. But Ephesians 4.14 says, through Jesus, that we should no longer be children tossed back and forth by every wave. I mentioned earlier that your teenagers are telling me they deal with a school that cares more about its numbers than its students. They deal with not feeling heard and many of them don't have a place to go. At a time in my life, I was living very wild. In fact, you've heard Pastor mention Croton Cliff and the Nuevo Newt. Those were my uncles, everybody. <laughs> During this time, I experienced some of that dysfunction, and I didn't have a place to go. I went to Four Souls Northern and grew up in Ada. My family was the normal middle-class family of four until my brother was born when I was 10. During this time, there was a lot of family drama happening. My mom was really sick. My dad was stressed with work. And their marriage was falling apart. I thought it was me. I often had the thought, maybe things would be better if I wasn't here. When I think about what it was like growing up during that time, I'm reminded of that young man in our huddle group with the sleepless nights due to parents who were yelling and arguing, hanging up posters to hide holes in the walls. I remember hanging up posters in my room to cover up the holes that I put in my wall. I turned to drugs at a young age and became addicted for years. Like some of you in the room, I experienced overwhelming anxiety and depression that made it seemingly impossible to function. Around the time I turned 18, I found myself without a place to live. By the grace of God, a family here at New Chapel took me in and gave me a room of my own. They didn't look at me and see this drugged up teenager or this broken little kid. They saw me as someone with a lot of hurt in their life and they chose to make an investment. They brought me way out to Four Mile during the shutdowns to attend a drive-in church. 
But because of that, because of a church who refused to back down and shut its doors, even when society, even when the undercurrent of culture told them to, because of a church who refused to back down, I was able to make Jesus the Lord over my life and be set free. When I didn't have family to turn to, you became my family. When I gave up on myself, you all encouraged me in the Lord. When I had nowhere to go, this church said, welcome home. Let New Chapel always be the church with its doors open so people can connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. This is why we invest in the next generation. Because when I said I was fine, this church refused to give up on me. And we can't afford to give up on them. We have to, as the book of Nehemiah says, remember the Lord who was great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. There's an undercurrent ready to take your kids, but God wants to raise up a standard in your family. It's what all of us have been saying. What pastor says, it's what you already know. Your kids need you. God needs you. You're the only one that's going to do it for your kids. And I say in light of a generation that's losing their minds, using a litter box, a generation that's being swept away on their phones, I say that we be a church of parents and families who step up and take charge. I say that this fatherless generation won't become a godless generation. And I say this generation in this area of our country, will know the goodness of our God. I am living proof. Who's with me? We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.